Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fast Charge. I am your host, Dom. I'm joined this week by a smaller cohort than usual. It is just Lewis and Toddy with me. That is because it is the Easter weekend here in the UK and everyone else on the team is ready to stop working, take four <laughs> days off and fill their faces with chocolate. Uh, I, I hope to be able to join them very soon once we're done with the show. This is our work for the bit and then we then we got the whole weekend off, four days, four glorious days. Uh, but we do have a show to do first and thanks to Xiaomi, it's going to be a fairly busy one uh, because... <laughs> Xiaomi like sort of kept itself kind of quiet for the last month or two. It only launched like eight phones over the last, <laughs> last couple it? of months. Uh, yeah, it's just something like that. Uh, just, you know, a few Redmi's and then a few Pocos. It's pretty chill for them, to be honest. <laughs> but that's because they were saving their shot for the mega launch this week, uh, which was such a huge event. They actually held it in two parts, which they didn't even tell anyone until the day when they just casually said, oh, yeah, we're not actually done. Come back tomorrow. We've got some more stuff. Uh, so we are going to run through everything phone-wise that Xiaomi uh, announced during its two-day event. Uh, and then, as promised, we are going to turn to the Vivo X60 series, because we just didn't have time for it last week, so there was so much stuff going on. I have the X60 Pro and the Pro Plus right here. I've used them each as my main phone for sort of a week each. So you'll basically be getting my final review thoughts on those two phones. Before that, let's run through some other quick little bits and pieces from the week. Uh, first up, MediaTek uh, has become the biggest chip maker in the world by shipments, which I think took all of us a little bit by surprise. We knew it was coming up in the world, but in 2020, for the first time, it actually overtook Qualcomm for smartphone chip shipments. Uh, they had a massive jump. They went from 17% of the market share to 27% of the market share. Uh, from 2019 to 2020, that represents just about 350 million chipsets shipped. Uh, their biggest client is, in fact, uh, Xiaomi. So no surprise there. Xiaomi's growth has been good for them. They also sold on a lot of chips to Oppo. Uh, and one of the other big things that's helped them is Huawei's uh, ongoing U.S. trade relations. They've Huawei has not been able to do its own chips. It's also not been able to buy Qualcomm chips. And so guess who it's turned to? MediaTek. <laughs> Moving on, in fact, sticking with Huawei rather than moving on too much, uh, the company has confirmed that Harmony OS is coming in April. We kind of knew that. It said it was probably coming around April, but now it's like put its boots down and said, yep, April, Harmony OS. We were expecting that to arrive kind of with the P50 or at least around the same time as the P50. But we've had leaks to say the P50 series has actually been delayed maybe as late as June. Hmm. So instead... We're probably seeing Harmony OS launch by itself. Some people are saying it might launch with a new like MatePad tablet or something like that. Uh, and either way, it will probably actually end up being the Mate X2 foldables that still get the software first, which they had said before. But uh, yeah, Harmony OS soon, P50 not quite so soon, probably. Then there has only been one other proper phone launch this week because everyone, I think, quite smartly got the hell out of Xiaomi's way. Uh, the only the only company brave enough to try to throw a phone out into the marketplace this week was Realme, who held the China-only launch of the Realme GT Neo, which is a real, like, squint, tell-the-difference phone from the Realme GT. Uh, I think, as best as we can tell, the only differences are it uses a different chipset. It uses a MediaTek rather than Snapdragon. That means it uses Bluetooth 5.1 rather than Bluetooth 5.2. 
It has 50 watt fast charging rather than 65 watt fast charging. And the colors are a bit different. Correct. Uh, that is it. It's a bit <laughs> cheaper. It. They're marketing it for gamers. It's the same phone. It's the same as the GT, but the colors are a bit more like... Funky, it has a dual layer graphene cooling system and a vapor Ooh. chamber. That's part of the gameriness of it. That. I don't know what that actually means in real world usage. We'll have to wait and Nothing. see. I mean, realistically, it's probably the exact same cooling that's in the GT. Probably. They've just branded They just didn't it mention it on the other one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But we don't know. We haven't done a teardown. Uh, anyway, that is probably a Chinese-only release. And to be honest, at this point, it's looking like the GT in general might be China only. We'd held up hope for it to launch globally, but I think we would have heard by now if Realme planned for it. But we'll see. Uh... Things that are happening globally. Two events to round ours off with. Uh, first up, Apple has confirmed WWDC is going to start on June 7th. It is once again going to be online only and those free to watch and free to attend. They're not ticketing it or anything. Uh, that is when we'll see the next version of iOS and macOS and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, second year in a row, online only WWDC. No huge surprise there. And then finally, just as of today... Sony announced an Xperia launch event, which is long overdue. I think I was kind of expecting to have seen the uh, Xperia 1 Mark III and 10 Mark III by now. They're normally uh, MWC launches for February. Uh, Instead, we're getting a launch on April 14th. They haven't actually confirmed what's launching. They've just said it's Xperia. But yeah, the 1 Mark III and 10 Mark III are probably safe bets because they're the phones we were expecting to see this time of year. We might see this Xperia compact phone that's been rumored, though I know now people think that might just be a Japan-only model, so that might not show up at this global event. Uh, We will see. Uh, Also worth noting that TCL has an event scheduled for the same day, April 14th, though they're not promising any phones. They've said that's going to be things like TVs, soundbars, and some smart home stuff. So don't expect to see any TCL phone stuff at that point. Whew. Okay. Well done yeah, again. Very well done. <laughs> <laughs> Let's turn to Xiaomi. And uh, we're actually going to approach the mega launch in reverse order. We're going to start with day two, which is when the company unveiled the Mi Mix Fold, which, as the name suggests, is Xiaomi's long awaited foldable phone. We've known for a while they were working on a foldable, something to rival Huawei and Samsung's offerings. Um, and honestly, I'm a little surprised it's taken them this long to reveal something, but they have. Uh, to no great surprise, it's part of their Mimix line, which they've kind of used for proof of concept, kind of interesting tech, pushing the edge. Uh, it's It was the Mimix Alpha that we saw last year that had that wraparound display. Though that was only a concept device, the Fold is actually properly coming out. It will be uh, available for the mass market, but China only. Uh, that was a bit unclear during the stream, but they have since confirmed, to avoid any doubt, the Mimix Fold is only launching in China you will not see it anywhere else. So you've got to be ready to import if you want to grab it on, I want to say, April 16th, Toddy. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> Great. Let's say it is. <laughs> yes. What else? Uh, what is noticed about this phone? I mean, I guess for me, for me, the headline thing is, is it's a little bit cheaper than Samsung or Huawei's offering, though that kind of goes away a bit once you factor in Chinese rates and exchange rates and stuff. But still, it definitely undercuts Huawei in China. Um, and otherwise... It looks, design-wise, pretty similar to what we've seen. Xiaomi hasn't like rocked the boat here in terms of foldable design language. I think it, it kind of splits the difference between the Galaxy Z Fold 2 and the Huawei Mate X2. 
Um, I think the Mate X2 is the best of that kind of book style foldable that we've seen in terms of aesthetics. Um, the only kind of points I'm deducting really on Jamie's design is that the bezels around the external 6.52 inch display just look a little bit thicker. And so it's a little bit less elegant. Um, and I can't remember the color options for the Huawei, but there's only two or yeah, there's only two. There's a black glass version or a black ceramic version of the fold. Huawei had quite um, a few for the Matex too. They had four or five colors. Right. I remember they had a lot of like nice pastel-y finishes and yeah. um, that was a real thing they pushed that they had, they had a range of, of colors available rather than just black. Yeah, but it still looks good. Um, yeah, so I mean, headline specs are Snapdragon 888 chipset, which is no great surprise. Uh, loads of RAM and storage, as you expect. Actually, I'm impressed on the RAM. It goes up to 16 gigabytes, which um, I guess makes some sense for a foldable where multitasking is maybe a bigger yeah. a bigger element. But still, that's kind of been a gamer phone thing, those kind of RAM levels. So it's interesting to see that in something that's not pushing for that market segment. Um, I think that's probably to do with the... The, you know, like with um, the Z Fold 2, we saw like the three app multitasking setup. And mm -hmm. so if you're going to be multitasking with multiple apps like that, more RAM is always helpful. Um, Xiaomi solution, uh, they say it runs MIUI 12, but obviously it's a modified version for that eight inch kind of almost square display. We don't know the yeah. exact aspect ratio, um, but it has a desktop mode similar to what you'd find in Samsung DeX or what mm. the Moto G100 brings to the table, but on the device. So it's not you plug it into something external. Oh. Um, and that creates a kind of taskbar menu bar at the bottom and then all the apps open windowed and I think you can drag them around the display. So having that extra RAM is helpful for that. And that's just an interesting take on how to handle a larger screen Android experience, I think. I'm curious how that works in practice because mm. it is a bigger display, but it's not yeah. like big. It's not a monitor, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. They compared it to the iPad mini, which is a 7.9 inch screen. So I kind of see what they're getting at because uh -huh. it's technically a point, what, 1.1 inch bigger or something. Mm -hmm. So then the mini is rectangular, whereas mm. this is a almost yeah. square. So actually yeah. in terms of yeah. number, you know, the, the actual real estate, it's probably not bigger. It's just the diagonal measurement is, is bigger. It's Precisely. a slightly misleading way of looking at it. Because um, if you want to go by that, you know, it's 6.5 inch on the outside and 8 inch on the inside. If, if you just go by diagonal measurements, it sounds like, oh, the inside screen's barely bigger. But actually, it's yeah, double the size, yeah. about yeah. twice the size. Um, it's just if you go by diagonal measurements, they're a bit misleading from, from that sense. It's, now, speaking um, of the screens, one thing that I, I think is interesting is they haven't gone big on refresh rate here. No, the internals 60 hertz and the externals 90 hertz yeah. with yeah. double, I think, for the touch response rate. That was literally what I was about to ask yeah, as well. Not... It's like, I need that right. refresh rate. Right, yeah, so nothing crazy. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess that's where they've made their saving, and I'm sure there are complications with uh, high refresh rate displays and folding them uh, yeah. that makes it tricky. It seems funny that the outer display isn't even 120 hertz. Mm. You know, they, they're putting 120 in even their budget phones. You know, there's a 200 pound Xiaomi phone in like the Pocos and the Redmi's. You can get spend 200 pounds and get 120 hertz display from Xiaomi. Yeah. Um, so it seems a little odd that this phone, which is, um, uh, we didn't actually talk pricing other than saying it's, it's 10,001, which basically works out around one and a half thousand dollars. Um, yeah. So a bit less than that in pounds. So, that's an expensive phone, and, and I guess at this point it does seem a little funny from a company that's gone all in on high refresh rate displays. 
for them to pick that as a, an area to compromise on here. Yeah, the other thing I couldn't find any mention of, um, which makes me think it's probably going to be a side mounted in the power button, is a fingerprint sensor. There's no mention of an in-display sensor, even on the external screen. Um, um, so I imagine that might be something where they've also saved just a little bit, just like the refresh rate stuff. Um, and it's probably a power button fingerprint mm -hmm. sensor. Uh, one of the things I was kind of, uh, I thought made a lot of sense for a device like this is having quad stereo speakers. So two pairs on the top and bottom of each side. So it's kind of like an iPad pro when you, or an air, uh, yeah. Uh, when you open it out and you have that kind of really good sound, hopefully, which I think with the size of the device, you'll probably be able to deliver some decent sound. I think the Huawei had quad speakers as well. Does it? But I don't I want to say remember. that with confidence. I'm not. I'm not sure, and I don't have because of that wedge shape. I was like, is that going to have the same? True. Yeah, with mm. the wedge, that might have a. If nothing Can't else, wait to test them. Test them <laughs> Find out for real. Yeah, that would be nice. We are hoping to actually get the Mate X2 in. If, if anyone from Huawei is watching, you said you were going to send us one. Come on, <laughs> it's April now. Um, Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, I, I'm not getting my hopes up for ever seeing a Mimix fold in person because with a China, mm. China only release, um, no, no pretense at all that this is going to come out globally, which is another interesting move because we saw this, I guess, last year in the Mi 10 Ultra stayed China exclusive. But then as we'll get to later, the Mi 11 Ultra is now rolling out worldwide. They're making their big worldwide push. They want the worldwide attention. I'm kind of surprised they're not even doing a nominal global launch. Just, you know putting a few units out in the West so that they can say they did it. Uh, the the other, I guess, standout elements of this particular device are in the camera like area. So mm -hmm. it's got 108 megapixel main, which is, we've seen a bunch of Xiaomi phones with that. Uh, 13 meg ultra wide. It's the telemacro, which is the phrase they love using for their third camera mm -hmm. um, on, on a lot of their phones. It's the first phone I can think of um, that's coming to market with a liquid lens, which is tech we've heard about for a while, namely in Huawei's camp with the P50 series, which obviously might have been first, but has now been delayed. So um, yeah, it, it's got this basically a flexible membrane lens that physically pulls down over some sort of, almost like a mold within the camera arrangement that distorts the focal length. Mm -hmm. And that's how that operates, which seems like an extremely overcomplicated way of achieving whatever they're achieving. Um, but they say it gives the phone a, a three centimeter macro distance or up to a 30 times zoom, not optical, obviously, but like that's the range they're talking about there with that third sensor. Wow. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see the results of that. And also just the durability of something like that with like a flexible, mm. transparent, like that has to be optically clear and actually deliver good quality pictures. How, how that would last over time. I'd be curious to see that kind of tech. Yeah. This would be the first time you really worry about the, the, durability of the camera module in a phone exactly which, yeah, other than scratching the lens yeah they're, they're normally pretty solid um very few moving parts in an ideal world um so the, yeah that is quite interesting i guess to be fair there's the same kind of concerns with something like the gimbal cameras in, in the yeah. Vivos that we'll talk yeah. about later and, and anywhere where there's motors and yeah suspension modules and things like that yeah exactly uh <laughs> and back when samsung did the adjustable aperture on oh yes the s note nine or was no. it the s it was an s because it was an mwc they announced it i'm pretty sure but yeah maybe s9 which they just kind of dropped um they stopped putting that in <laughs> didn't need it. something wrong with it uh but yeah I, I mean very curious about the liquid lens i'm also curious how i need to really go sit and dig down into the tech on this i'm curious how mm. a liquid lens tech relates to the free form lens tech 
that mm. we've seen Oppo and OnePlus both hype up for their wide angles, where they're talking about freeform lenses to reduce image distortion around the edges of frames. And I'll, I'll just, you know, happily admit my lack of properly detailed camera knowledge here that I'm not quite sure whether I'm just making a connection between them that, that isn't there or whether there is something similar going on. But I had been under the impression the liquid lens tech could, was kind of similar to what they were using to reduce their edge distortion. I don't understand why they can't just, uh, for the end result at least, have a very large sensor and just crop in slightly to crop out the distortion at the edge of frame, still get you an ultra wide shot. But that <laughs> seems like a much simpler solution. But maybe that's it's not in in, so. in in the uh, yeah. Oh, but as soon as okay. as soon as the press found out they had sensors they weren't using and there was wasted sensor <laughs> yeah, space. True. I think also to be fair, sensor size has more and more been one of the big limiting factors in camera module design um i know i've seen had a few brands talk about this during briefings when they're talking about the compromises they've made around which cameras they put in and part of it is that discussion that you know rightly and, and it's been great we've had the move over the last few years towards brands realizing that bigger sensors are now the biggest area they can make image quality improvements but you know when we say bigger sensor we literally mean it's it's bigger it's physically bigger it takes up more space on the phone um, and so I know that was what Oppo said when they were talking about the Find X3 Pro and why they didn't have a periscope was that fitting two big sensors in for the wide, for the, for the main camera and the ultra wide camera just meant it didn't make sense to try and squeeze a periscope in as well. Mm. So I guess sensor space is at a bit of a premium. So maybe you don't want to go too big on that unless you're using it. Have you a chance to read about the Surge C1 as well, either of you? No, I was about to ask what that is, what it means, because this is, we, Xiaomi so, has previously made a surge chip, but that was just like a budget mid-range phone chip they did three years ago or something and never followed up with anything else. Uh, but this is an image, uh, the, the image unit, right? Yeah, image so processor. even though that Snapdragon 888 has its own ISP, yeah. image signal processor, this is another one in the phone. Um I don't know whether they've just turned off the one in the Snapdragon 888, which... I was going to ask, do they work the... in tandem or did they just shut Qualcomm's down? They they just didn't talk about it. Um, uh, also, it just seems like a bit of a pointless exercise considering the results out of phones like the Snapdragon 888-powered S21 Ultra have been very good from yeah. all the reviews I've seen of that version of the, of the phone. So there's nothing inherently wrong with Qualcomm's ISP. I think Jambi just wanted to shove another of its own technologies into this device as it's the Mi Mix line is always a bit more experimental. Mm. Um, so yeah, this is the, the Surge C1 is an ISP that, I mean, all they really said was that it it, it handles automated exposure, uh, contrast, white balance, and focus like any ISP right. would. Well, like, it does, yeah. does it, what an image it does the job up, that yeah. it's supposed to do, is basically what they said on stage. Yeah. Which, I don't know, it seemed odd, but people got, the audience was and you get shouting your pat on about back it. For that. Well done, guys. You managed to do yeah. so. the same thing as yeah. everybody else. Yeah. Congrats. <laughs> you, you, you put a chip in that did what it's supposed to do. Cool. <laughs> it I is don't... a very odd strategic move, because, I mean, you, you know, you said it's it's great. They, maybe they just want to put in some more that's, you know, something else that's their own tech, and totally. Mm. But normally you do that to replace something and as yeah. we said we don't know if this is replacing functionally speaking 
the, the ISP and the Snapdragon are not. But it's not physically replacing it because that ISP is built into the Snapdragon. They'd have to be popping they open still... those chips and like yeah. <laughs> unmicro soldering components on a tiny, tiny board. I don't think that's happening. I don't think they're doing that. So they've still got like they're still paying for an ISP that they're maybe not using, or they're yeah. duplicating. They've also got the the power draw of it and the physical space it takes up. Not a lot, but still, it's space inside the phone. And that, like I said, that's always at a premium. So it's just very odd to throw in an extra component that's just. It doesn't let you swap something out. And uh, I mean, I, I guess you can only wonder if this is them taking the very, very tentative baby steps towards proper silicon production internally. Mm. Um, you know, we've spoken a lot about how how Xiaomi might be dealing with the threat of the getting the Huawei treatment, you know. And you could totally imagine that part of what they'd look at there is maybe we need to be able to make our own chips. And that was kind of the thing that stung Huawei was it was kind of making its own chips, but only through licenses with, with ARM anyway, that then got cut off. Um, but, you know, I don't know if this is, if that's what the thinking is here, they're trying to become more self-sufficient just in case maybe. the U S really cuts them off from everything. It's, I mean, it, it's not a, a bad idea, but whether it actually, it's, it would take them years to be meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But maybe this is why point. it's such a small, a small thing now is like, it's the start of a much bigger, you know, snowball mm. effect sort of situation. Mm. Yes. It's an odd one. Um, especially, like I said, there was a previous surge, but it wasn't an ISP. It was a general chipset and it was several years ago and there's been nothing from that since. So it's not like nothing they've been, <laughs> you know, putting other stuff out, but. Who knows whether they scrapped Surge and then started it again, or if the same team has been quietly spending three years just working towards an ISP. Do you guys like the device overall from <clears throat> what you've seen? I mean, I like foldables in general. That's probably because I haven't actually used one <laughs> yeah. for any extended amount of time yet. Because <laughs> so I'm yeah. still in that kind of, oh, look at them. They look amazing. I just want to use one. But I feel like yeah. after I've used one for a few weeks, I might be a little bit sick of them. But I mean, with that being said, price is the main thing for me. Um, when it comes to any foldable, like I want to, I want it to be as cheap as possible without it being, you know, bad. Um, so I welcome them bringing the price down, especially compared to, to to Huawei's option and stuff like that. But I think we're still a way away from it being like an actual consumer product in a mainstream yeah. sense. Yeah. yeah, it's hard because it's it, this is obviously a less impressive looking phone than Huawei's, which is the most recent one to compare to, but it's. I don't know, half the price or something. Yeah. So that's that's pretty reasonable. Actually, The price gap between this and the Huawei is pretty substantial. Yeah, um, maybe not quite um, half, but it's it's a lot. It starts at 9999 yeah. nine, uh, one, <laughs> four nine, and then yeah. 17999 for the uh, for the Mate X. Uh, the Mate two. X two. So yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's just about half. It's, it's a little over half the Huawei's price. And for what you're getting relative to the Huawei, I'd say the value is phenomenal yeah. compared to that. But it is still in the space where it's far from an impulse purchase, <laughs> far from an affordable phone. It's still, you know, like way over the price most people would ever dream of paying for a handset. So it, it's in this weird spot where actually you almost wonder if it's it's in the worst of both worlds at the moment because <laughs> it's not going to seem as premium as the Huawei for the people who are willing to drop a load of money and buy a foldable because money's no object to them. But it's still maybe out of the reach of a lot of people just wanting to get a flagship phone because it's still that good chunk more yeah. than any other flagship 
out there. Even if it's not successful, I think just by being in the market in competition, it's just going to help push mm-hmm. down the price of components oh, totally. from a manufacturing standpoint and retail price just for competition's sake. So yeah. and, even and if it sells terribly, it's it's valuable to the end consumer at some point in the life of foldables as they go forward. Totally. As Lewis said, anything bringing the price down is is super welcome. And it, it was always going to happen eventually, but it, um, it's nice to see Xiaomi coming in and being aggressive in that because it inevitably, at least in China, Huawei will have to kind of respond to that um, in, in some way with the next generation of Mate. Um, uh, this looks to me also more appealing than the Samsung, but obviously mm. that's now six, seven months old. And they made a big jump from their Gen 1 to their Gen 2. And I'm kind of expecting a similar jump for Gen 3. Uh, so I do think it is that kind of, by the time September rolls around, I suspect Samsung will look again like it's got the best one around. But, but we'll see. But yeah, I'm impressed. I you know I think it's a shame it's only in China, but maybe that is because, as we said, it sits in an odd space that means it may not by itself be, be a giant hit, but it's paving the way for more foldables from more brands and more competitive pricing and and hopefully for Xiaomi. I mean, we see, Xiaomi is aggressive in the way it takes tech from its premium phones and rolls them out into cheaper devices. So I'm not saying expect like a 300 pound Poco foldable in September, <laughs> but you know, I do think we will see Xiaomi more than Samsung or Huawei push quite quickly into getting this like below a thousand dollars and getting more affordable folding phones out there. Cause that's, that's the shtick, really. Um, okay, so speaking of them having a range of phones and pushing their tech down <laughs> in interesting and aggressive ways, oh boy. Uh, the first half of the Xiaomi Mega launch, working back in time, had so much stuff in it. And we cannot cover it all. There was a new uh, Mi Smart Band. There was, I think there was a dehumidifier. Ooh. There was some other appliances. <laughs> yeah. um, actually, at some point on, on this was day two, I think, but they announced they're going to be working on electric vehicles. Yeah, um, there, there was a whole mess of Xiaomi announcements. They also, I'm sorry, I, I have to rag on them for this. They changed the logo. <laughs> but my God, <laughs> I challenge anyone to look them up and tell me, like, without checking first, which one is old and which one is new. <laughs> All they did is round the corners. And at one point on stage, the guy said, "We did more than round the corners." And I'm like, "No, you did not." <laughs> okay, you yeah, know that is the same color. That is the same font. You just took a square. And put it, turned it into a squircle. Yep, that is it. Yep. I'm looking at this picture right now. Yeah, that's that's yeah. No, <laughs> they they showed slides of the development of <laughs> of this new uh, logo, and they showed all these different like uh, font concepts where they tweaked the font, like iterated uh, and iterated yeah. right oh, through. Yeah, yeah, I'm seeing that. And it, it feels like they just landed back on the yep. first one, even if it was a blind choice. It was just the first one again, even with, Do you know who designed this? It. Like, it's the same guy that made uh, the PS5 logo. <laughs> <laughs> oh really? <laughs> then we were at CES, I think, uh, when they revealed that. Yeah. Oh man, this we guy's like, been phoning it in oh. for years. <laughs> Guys, we got to get in, we got in, we're in the wrong career. We got to change. We got to get into logo design <laughs> clearly. Uh, so the big books are. Anyway, new logo. That is not the most exciting thing they announced. Um, more interesting was the <laughs> rest of the Mi 11 series, which they just dropped in one go. We obviously had the Xiaomi Mi 11. Um, actually, three months ago now, it had its Chinese launch. The end of December, we saw the Xiaomi Mi 11. It took a little longer to get over here, but it did. But now there is a full Mi 11 set. We have a Mi 11 Lite, two versions of the Mi 11 Lite, technically. A Mi 11i, a Mi 11 Pro, and a Mi 11 Ultra. 
Um, the Pro is staying China only, but the I, the Light, and the Ultra are launching globally in various markets. Not every phone will be everywhere, but th- those three are kind of going worldwide. But the, the Pro is staying where it is. Um, Toddy, maybe the best thing to do is we just work kind of up through these, and we'll go relatively okay. quickly through the Light and the I before we get to the Pro and the Ultra, which are really the exciting ones. But, sure. Um, let's start with the light, the messy light 4G and light 5G. Right. Yeah. So the the fundamental like, they are um, flat displays, AMOLED displays though, high refresh rates, which is nice. Um, depending on the 4G or 5G, there's a bunch of things that do differ. So like the base RAM, um, the fact that the 4G model has Gorilla Glass 5, not 6. Um, I think base storage as well is slightly different, 64 versus 128. Uh, the cameras on the back are the same, 64 meg main, 8 meg ultra wide, 5 meg telemacro. They use that two times telemacro. Um, you get a 16 meg selfie camera on the 4G, but a 20 meg on the 5G. I didn't uh, realize that differed this much. Yeah, yeah. There's just, just lots of little just I knew subtle there were things. A couple things that came um, from the chipset change, but wow. So. Yeah, chipset is, is the big one, really, which is that the uh, 4G version features the Snapdragon 732G, which we found on the Poco, Poco X3, X3. NFC. Yep. Yeah, there we go. Um, whereas the, the 5G model is, I think, the first phone mm-hmm. that is going to be featuring the Snapdragon 780G, which we only heard about last week from Qualcomm. Yep. Um, and that is the first mid-range, I guess, if you want to call it, uh, chipset from Qualcomm with a 5 nanometer process. Mm-hmm. Um, so same process as the Snapdragon 8088 with an integrated 5G modem. So it should be super efficient, great for battery life, that kind of stuff. Yeah, this um, is basically the follow-up to the 765G. Yes, exactly. Year, which which was a hugely popular chip, massive, um, and, and loads of like mid-range, upper mid-range, even some flagship phones used it. So yeah, the LG um, Velvet, Velvet. Thank you. Yeah, uh, and the, did the Wing use it as well? Probably, I'm actually not sure, but I think it probably I did. I think the Wing used it um, too, and the Pixel Five, yeah. right? And the uh, yes, Mirror yes, as which well. I've yeah. been. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, so popular chip. I assume they're trying to recreate that magic this year. But the fact it's in an affordable device, um, don't, we don't have like specific pricing for the UK on any of these phones. I should say we have Euro pricing for some of them. Um, I think the uh, the four G model starts at two nine nine, whilst the five G model uh, will come in at three six nine. That's Euros. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there's a few, a few. Uh, it's pretty good, I think, for what you're getting, especially that five G version. Um, Jamie does like to cram a lot of stuff, mainly it's software led into its more affordable devices. But some of the hardware there, I think, seems really reasonable for the price. So yeah, it's a good, it's a good start and a solid base. I think um, the four G version, I'm pretty sure, isn't coming to the UK, but the five G model is. Right, yeah. um, also, don't think the four G model is launching in China. So again, the only in certain European markets um, is there going to be the four G version. I suspect uh, what we'll generally see is that most markets will get either the four G or the five G. Yeah, I doubt maybe. many specific countries. I know like Europe as a whole is getting both, but I suspect what you'd actually see is that each country gets one or the other. But uh, don't quote me on that. Yeah, but that seems likely because um, they, they are. Similar and different. The differences are, you know, enough to just confuse the average consumer trying to tell the difference between them rather than helpfully help you, you know. Take- it's also very thin, which is nice, at 6.81 mil thick, which is pretty good. Ooh, so that that's good. kind of the hook. I have a, a shiny black. Ooh. Wow. Yeah, it's very, very thin. That's nice. 
because I was very impressed. I mean, we'll get to it, but the Vivo X, X60 and X60 Pro are sort of 7.4-ish. And I was like, these are great. So then 6.81, wow. Uh, yeah. That must be the thinnest phone in a while. I can't think of anyone else getting below 7 mil. Yeah, not for those like weird concepty phones that kind of sold or, or those sorts of things. Yeah, not many mainstream phones that I can think of that are that thin. I mean, that it does exclude the camera bump, but even yes, the camera bump always, itself yeah. is... I mean, it is it is that two-step offering where the main camera is stepped yeah, on yeah. the camera bump already, but overall in the hand, it feels it nice and thin. So yeah, it's good. It's a very thin light device. So if that's what you're looking for mm. and you still want 5G, that's out the gate a good looking option. We'll give it the full review treatment and, and let you know for sure. But yeah, promising stuff indeed from just like the general harbor setup. Um, the only thing that bugged me is that they split the colors by connectivity. Oh. So there's like a blue, a pink and a black. And then there's a green, a different kind of black and a yellow. But those first three colors are for the 4G and the, the second three colors for the 5G. So. All of this is just classic Xiaomi, which is like the name is confusing. There's two functionally <laughs> quite different phones, but both with the same name. But part of a lineup that has another four phones in it anyway. And you just look and you kind of feel like you don't need to release this many phones. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just all prototypes. They are right the ex- They're like, well, we made some. Might as well get them out there. It is. It is. It's on cost fallacy, isn't it? It's like someone knocked something together, and they were like, "Well, you know, he spent he spent a good forty five minutes building that spec sheet up. Like, we've got to put the phone out now. It'd be a waste of time otherwise." If you're in a market where you can swing for the five G version, though, if you have the option of both, I would definitely save that extra, like save up your extra seventy or whatever it is euros, and fork out for that five G model because I think there's just so many little tweaks that just make it yes. give you better quality of life. Looks like that. Um, benefits, especially um, that chip. Okay, moving on up to the, I think it's fair to say the surprise phone. This is the only one I hadn't seen leaked in the slightest. No, um, no, is this the is Mi the weirdest I. one to me. Yeah, um, it's a new name for them. I don't think they've done a Mi 10i or anything like I? that. Before. I don't think so, yeah. Um, and it's a lowercase i, I think, typically. Yes. Just even though they're like usually throwing an uppercase letter in their names when they do use them. Um, it's the way I perceived it is it's more of a revision of the base Mi 11, the standard Mi 11, so the flagship. Mm. Um, and it just kind of focuses in on some of those features. So it's got a 120 hertz uh, full HD AMOLED rather than, I think it's 2K on the standard yep. Mi 11. Um, but it's got, you know, Gorilla Glass 6 instead of Victus, I think. Uh, but it has got a Snapdragon 888. And it's got 8 gigs of RAM. It's got up to 256 gigs of storage. Um, it looks like a different main camera, even though it is an 108 megapixel sensor like the Mi 11. Um, and then the ultra wide and the macro, telemacro, I think, are the same. Uh, one of the weirdest things on the camera setup was that it, they highlighted this extra microphone, which is like mm-hmm. a dedicated audio zoom microphone. Audio zoom is one of the features they were showcasing on this phone specifically. I'm pretty sure it's available on other devices in Xiaomi's lineup. But it's, and, it, and we've seen it from other manufacturers too uh, for years now, in, in fact. Yep. But it's that feature where when you zoom in while shooting video on like, say, a person playing a guitar across a busy town square, it'll try and filter out all the additional noise and just hone in on that. And that's what this extra microphone is for in the camera arrangement. Um, I should also say the camera doesn't look like the rest of the Mi 11 line with that kind of rounded square with the silver on one side. This one looks actually much closer in style to the... Uh, what we've seen of the leaked Huawei P50 with this almost dual circle pill-shaped camera setup. So it's a very different looking device for the, from the rest of the range. And I wonder whether they just slapped Mi, Mi 11 branding on it at the last minute because they thought that was going to appeal more or something. It does feel a bit like a 
an odd one out in in some ways. very much so yeah um the price is such an odd point for it to be it's 649 euros which is only a hundred less than the Mi 11 and as you said it's kind of like a just slightly lower spec Mi 11 but yeah yeah i for some Still of that makes sense dropping dropping down to full like... hd and saving 100 euros sounds pretty reasonable but if the camera's not quite as good um unless i'm much mistaken you're not getting wireless charging no i'm pretty sure it's just th- um, and it's 33 watt wired i've got and it's sl- yeah slower wired the camera's not quite the same uh mm. it's ip53 though actually the mi 11 isn't ip58 isn't ip68 so that's actually fine no um and am I reading right? You've got it's a side-mounted fingerprint sensor. It's not. Yeah, in I, I, I think if I if I brought that right, because obviously I was pulling these specs from a translated <laughs> event, so yeah. I think that's right. Uh, I I will maybe should double fact check, but at the time I was pretty confident that that was what it was. Um, and maybe that's another thing that you know, again, like we're talking about with the Mi Mix Fold, like that's where they're saving money. It's just these yeah. small tweaks that most users probably won't be too upset by ultimately do save money in the manufacturing stage and so they can push the price point down even further yeah it's a it's a weird one i guess it's if if your main concern is you want the performance you know you're still getting the 888 and then like some of the other cool specs but you're happy for a little dip on camera a little dip on display um a little more fairly big dip on charging capabilities to me it feels like too many compromises for a hundred euro gap and i'd say if you could afford it i'd always suggest someone make the jump up to the to the regular Mi 11 face with that choice there's obviously something in what Xiaomi sees in the markets it's selling this as well because it's it wasn't mentioned at all in the Chinese launch and it's another one that like the Mi Lite uh Mi 11 Lite 4G isn't destined for the UK which is typically a, a yeah UK consumers typically spend more on a phone um so it's just going to Europe as of right now um, so maybe that's where they just see there's, mm. there's market for in Europe, but not really anywhere else. I do maybe. wonder if it will be the same thing of, um, as we were saying with the two light models, maybe you only get the eye in countries that don't have the regular Mi 11. Very and possibly. They, they just take that approach. It, it's instead of, and you don't really get the choice. Uh, moving on, let's take the Pro and the Ultra together because they are very similar devices other than yeah. the Ultra's um, wonderful, silly rear display, which we'll get to. <laughs> uh what's the headline stuff i guess the the best question maybe is how do these jump from the mi 11 what do you get when you go up from an, from an 11 to a pro or an ultra um i think the main thing is the top ram and storage is a big thing and then obviously the cameras they they are both fronted by a new samsung isocell gn2 basically it's a new 50 megapixel sensor so they're dropping 108 on the mi 11 and they're both kind of led by this 50 meg sensor that has a one a 1.12 inch sensor size yeah. so it's i think the biggest that's the biggest right now though rumor has it sony's going to do a one over one sure yeah, so a proper one inch sensor but yeah for now this but is the, the big one in a phone biggest yeah. yeah and it's got ios and all that good stuff uh 123 degree 13 meg ultra wide um i'm looking at the the pro specs right now that yeah. uh, an 8 meg periscope so it's got periscopic zoom uh five times with 50 times maximum OIS. Um, but the Ultra goes up to that 120 times. Yeah, the, the the two additional sensors on the Ultra, and they have the same Samsung lead sensor, but then they swap out for... Interestingly, they both have the same... It's the IMX586, which is an incredibly popular sensor that I've talked about a bajillion times mm-hmm. for the past... feels like two, three years at this point, <laughs> yeah, this sensor has been used by phones. But yeah, on the Ultra, 
the ultra wide and the telephoto are both uh this 48 meg sensor um and the zoom goes from it has five times optical like the pro but 120 times maximum even though that's probably useless like on space zoom on samsung's phones i, I don't yeah. know i mean they're getting better <laughs> i know some of the hundred times stuff on the the ultras has gotten okay and i think people thought the max zoom on on the last year's me 11 ultra was good but how often you use yeah. it i don't know um, yeah the um the camera system on the ultra also benefits from a laser um a improved laser autofocus system as cool. well which the pro doesn't get and as we, I think, covered in leaks in the past, which is the weirdest part of it, but quite cool, is the 1.1-inch AMOLED display that's literally just sat next to the cameras, and mm. it's almost like a little phone screen in terms of its sort of proportions. Um, and that's obviously used like the Galaxy Z Flip, Dom. Uh, it wasn't me a... that said it. It wasn't me. <laughs> he was waiting for it. <laughs> it means you he can use waiting. the main cameras to take selfies. <laughs> uh, and it means you can also, like, see notifications. It, it, it's basically how... Um, both the Z Flip and the ROG Phone 5 use their back displays, but kind of fused together, Yeah, uh, which makes sense. Seems like a good implementation of it. It's a bit weird, but it's quite cool. I, I, I really like the idea. I think it's like a little bit ungainly the way they've done it, which is just mm. kind of just slapped it on the edge of the camera <laughs> module. Um, it doesn't feel like an, an elegant solution. I'll put it that way. But I like yeah. the idea. I like the idea of a tiny little notification display on the back of a phone. And obviously... Um, it also means you can use it for as a viewfinder for selfies, which I'm sure will be a, a big appeal for a lot of people because suddenly you're getting that you know fantastic yeah. rear camera setup as a as a selfie camera functionally. Yeah, um, they both share like there's so much in common beyond those cameras. So the cameras really the only the only big talking point um, in terms of performance. They are pretty much the same. I think like I said, you can get more RAM available um, in the upper echelons of the of the Ultra. Uh, both 5G, both Wi-Fi 6E, uh, both Bluetooth 5.2, both NFC, both 5,000 milliamp hour batteries, which is nice. So huge batteries and both feature 67 watt wired and wireless charging, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So that those are both little speed bumps on the Mi 11, which I think is yeah. 55 and 50, if I'm remembering right. And Sorry. they introduced a new, uh, at least in China anyway, uh, a new 80 watt charging stand to kind of go with those. Yeah. Um, that you can charge the phone in portrait and landscape, which is cool. And if anyone wants uh, to guess what charging speed the Mi 12 will have, moves <laughs> on the box of that charger. Um, the other thing that's worth saying, actually, is these are the first two Xiaomi phones to have an IP68 rating. I was just going to say, yes, which exactly. Which is good, but also embarrassing. I was um, quite surprised. I was surprised. I, 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 I didn't was like, even really? clock that until I saw someone else, and I, I'm sorry, I can't remember who to credit them, but someone else sort of quote tweeting a Xiaomi marketing tweet and just saying like, in in 2021, you shouldn't be having to advertise that your flagship has an IP68 rating. <laughs> like this is embarrassing, <laughs> or that it's your first. Like it's kind of mad actually that even the Mi 11 Ultra last year didn't didn't have that, which I would have just assumed it did. Mm. Um, when when but... I think about it, actually, the Chinese phone makers. I mean, initially, and uh, you know, only Huawei only put it on its highest highest end devices. Yeah. Like even like the uh, I think it was the Mate 10 series was when I first spotted it. The Mate 10, not the Pro, was still just IP53. Um, and, and a lot of Chinese manufacturers have been a bit slower. Yeah, OnePlus tried to stick to its guns for a long time and has given up. Yeah. And it, it, it was always trying to push the line that we just don't want to pay the fee for a certification. Like, we have the same level of waterproofing, but we don't want to pay someone for an IP certification 
because it's adding cost to the consumer and eventually they, they just sucked it up and realized that it's enough of a, a tick on a box to be able to say yeah. you get that certification that it's worth them doing. But um, you're right, there, there's probably on some level some cultural thing as to whether that's how much weight an IP rating carries and how much people care. Um, I think, yeah, we certainly like the idea of an independent body certifying the waterproofing rather than just the company says it's waterproof. Trust we us. Promise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, exactly. Yeah, these are um, obviously pretty exciting phones. Uh, they're just, you know, top spec across the board, as you would expect from the highest end Xiaomi devices out there. Uh, there are compromises. I think the big one with the Ultra is just with that camera module. It's a pretty ugly thing. Um, yeah, yeah. it's big and it's blocky and the camera module goes all the way across the back it's about the camera module itself is almost as thick as the rest of the phone so you are giving up some of the sort of svelte design it is the the the, uh, the ultra i'm pretty sure is not going to be 6.81 millimeters thin <laughs> no uh, they, that they, i couldn't I think, find I the, the camera with the camera like 6.81 millimeters but uh they 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 big they chonk <laughs> they chunk yes they chunk. but they do look very good you yep. know the, the the great display that's on the mi 11 carries across to these guys too so it's 2k quad curved yep. um they didn't um, mention it on the on the ultra but the 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 pro in china at least comes with a a antibacterial case and screen protector in box too cool. um i have to <laughs> say that, that that display also on the mi 11 is great and i can see why they're not going any further than it because yeah 2k 120 hertz amoled uh, and the quad curving is really nice. I'm actually a fan of that. It's, it's subtle curvature. It's not kind of over the top. It's just comfortable. Mm. Um, I, I, I'm a big fan. Um, so yeah, the the Ultra, a little bit to our surprise, is actually getting a global launch. We know it's coming to the UK. It's coming to Europe. As always, it's not coming to the US. But um, yeah, in most places in the world, you will be able to buy an Ultra, which is um, was not the case last year with the Mi 10 Ultra. So it's nice yeah, to see they're confident enough in this that they think they can ship it worldwide and that they can, I guess, fundamentally compete with the uh, the Galaxy Ultras and that some people will pick will pick the Xiaomi over it. Um, and I guess the Oppo Find X3 Pro is the other phone in, in that kind of space. But I like the look of this a lot. I like the Mi 11 a lot. I don't think this is the phone for me, the Ultra, because of that bulkiness and, and uh, yeah. the design compromises you're making. But if you put specs first, like I don't, I don't know if this feels like it outspecs everything else on the market right now, at least. Um, with the obvious caveat of it's a brand new camera sensor, and we need to see how good it really is. Uh, on paper, should be excellent though. Yeah, and if you're watching in the UK, based on the European pricing, which for the 12 gigabyte RAM, two five six gig SKU, which is the only one that apparently we're going to get over here, mm -hmm. there's multiple SKUs in China. Uh, that's priced at. Uh, one thousand one hundred ninety nine euros. So probably ten ninety nine pounds once it arrives. Yeah, as so I guess. Basically the same as the Find X three Pro, give or take. Yeah, 50. yeah. Touch um, pricier than the S twenty one. Yeah. I mean, Alex has made um, a good point so in true. the comments. He says that uh, even the the phones that are kind of IP rated, the companies won't you know they won't sort out any water damage that comes from the phone. No it, one comes. It, it, oh, yeah, it doesn't mean warranty. anything. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, I don't even think Apple no, Care no, covers water no, damage, does it? It's peace of mind. It means you worry a bit less that if you're going to drop it in the bath, that's going to screw it up for good. Um, and the other thing to caveat that people I don't think always appreciate is it's for fresh water. Yes, you know, it's for a bath, maybe Salt a swimming water pool. Will destroy your. If tech. you drop it in the sea, it's it's, it's gone no matter what. It doesn't matter what IP <laughs> rating you got. You know, 
Um, so it's peace of mind, but yeah, this doesn't guarantee that a company is going to have your back for if, sure. if the bath screws it up. Um, okay, let's wrap up Xiaomi for now. I feel like we've talked so much about Xiaomi phones today. Uh, and let's turn to Vivo because I wanted, I've been wanting to talk about the Vivo X60 phones for a while. I have two of them here. I've actually had them kicking around my flat for a while. I have the Vivo X60 Pro and then the X60 Pro Plus. There is also a standard X60, uh, but I haven't seen that one. But yeah, this is Vivo's new flagship range. Funnily enough, it actually was announced pretty much around the same time as the original Mi 11. These were late December launches in China. Um, the company has now finally confirmed the series is getting a global rollout. Details are a little sort of sparse for different bits. Um, we know, you know, if you're in India or Southeast Asia, you may even be able to buy the phones right now. And if not, you'll have concrete pricing and release dates. For Europe, we've been told some of the phones are coming to Europe. Um, definitely the Pro is coming to Europe. I think the regular X60, but they were a little unclear on that. Um, and not the Pro Plus. The, the Pro Plus is not coming to Europe. But I don't know when they're coming to Europe, and I don't know how much they're going to cost, which are two big caveats, because last year we only got the X50 Pro in Europe, rebranded the X51, and it was quite expensive. Um, and it was, yeah, it was quite a jump, big downside. They, they priced that one at 750 for, for the UK, um, but that was running on a 765G and had a few other sort of non-flagship sites. So that, that it, I'm worried because last year they were not competitive on price. So without knowing price, I'm, I'm hesitant to fully go, these are going to be great for Europe. But these are really good phones. And I think Vivo, they've only recently launched in Europe. So certainly if you're, if you're watching or listening and you're based in Europe, your awareness of Vivo may be uh, near nil. But uh, I honestly do think they are really, really worth a look. They, I've, I've said in the past that I think the biggest strength they have is hardware design. And they have just absolutely nailed their design language, um, the look and feel of these devices. It may not quite be for everyone, but say this is one of the two X60 Pro colors. And anyone like watching the video feed will see it is like shimmering in all sorts of different colors as I move it around the light. Really like that one. You can That's get blue, so nice. you can get orange, you can get like all sorts. Um, you can also just get it in black, though, if you want something a bit plainer. Uh, the Pro Plus comes with a leather finish, which I actually like. It's a muted dark blue leather. Ooh, rather than a garish like, kind of yeah, bright yellow orange yellow yeah for some reason every time we get a leather phone it's like color of a traffic light um i i appreciate that this is looks kind of muted and professional and nice um they are thin not 6.81 millimeters thin i'm afraid to say uh but i i was impressed with this until i heard that about the mi 11 light um the uh the pro here is i think around 7.5 mil it's something like that the pro plus is a bit thicker because of the leather but for me i think the more I review phones and the more I dot between phones, the more actually that like um, thin build and being lightweight matters more and more and more to me, especially as I hit, as, as big screens just become the default, you know, with every phone now essentially a 6.7 inch display or near enough. I think it matters more and more that you slim down the rest of it. And yeah, Viva just has nailed that. Uh, these phones are a real like joy to, to, to look at and to hold and to use. Um, Spec-wise, these are also very solid. Your um, The Pro Plus is the only one in the lineup that actually has the Snapdragon 888, uh, which is a little bit of a shame because I would have liked to see that on the other ones. Uh, but instead, they have the 870. So you're just getting that kind of overclocked version of last year's flagship 
Um, so still 5G, still phenomenal performance. It's not the absolute latest and greatest, uh, which, as I said, because the Pro Plus isn't coming to Europe, that means Europe just isn't getting an 888-powered Vivo phone this year, uh, or at least not for now. But I think the 870 is good enough for, for almost everyone. Um, and these, yeah, these really, really work for me. Um, you mentioned they're nice to use, but can yep. you talk a bit more about the user experience? Because as I understand <laughs> it, it's not like what most <laughs> consumers in the West might get. And it's a little bit messy when you were trying to explain to me early, earlier in the week. I was like, okay, I think I follow which devices using which experience and messy, which markets yeah. are getting them. And Messy is fair, but I think it's in a way to Vivo's credit because it is them genuinely trying to give each marketplace the user experience yeah. it wants. Yeah, I see that, that does mean if you're talking about it from a global perspective, <clears> it's a bit complicated. But from a local perspective, you can just be like, cool, this is going to be the software you like. Mm -hmm. um, so for a long time, Vivo has run an OS or an Android skin, um, the worst named Android skin in the business, I swear to God. Fun <laughs> Touch OS. Um, most I, likely to get you arrested. Yeah. No. <laughs> I love a fun touch in public. It's fucking awful. It's absolutely terrible. Um, so fun touch OS is Vivo's OS. Uh, they announced uh, last year and then it rolled out uh, earlier this year with the X60s Origin OS, which is their new version. It's a whole new Android skin. They rebuilt it from the ground up. It's actually interesting. It's very widget heavy. Um, so it looks interestingly of a piece with iOS 14 in a funny sort mm. of way as, as we've had that pivot back to widgets. But Origin OS went, went hard on widgets as well. Um, Origin OS is only in China, though. So if you buy an X60 in China or, uh, you know, get an exported one from China, it will run Origin OS. They have said that eventually they want to ship it worldwide, but they want to, like, refine it a bit more. They want to figure out different, like, preferences worldwide, figure out what, how to modify it for different markets. So for now, that's all uh, China only. If you're in the rest of the world, but not Europe, so... Uh, Asia, yeah. the Middle East, anywhere like that, you will get fun touch OS still. You are getting the same software experience as before. That's what I have on my review units right now because these are, are, are global models. Fun touch is, yeah, it's not great. I'll be honest with you. Um, I like the hardware a lot, but fun touch is, it, you know, the problems extend past the name. Um, it's uh, got that kind of me UI thing where it's complicated and unintuitive. The settings are never in the bit you expect them to be. You're always searching and scrolling around, diving in and out of menus, like, why isn't that bit there? That makes no sense. Um, there's a lot of bloatware, loads of Vivo's own apps. A lot of them you can't uninstall. Uh, some games that come pre-installed. You've got Vivo's virtual assistant, Jovi, which is next to useless. And again, pre-installed and you can't get rid of it. Um, lots of silly little annoying software quirks. So that's what you get if you're in India or Malaysia or markets like that. And again, if you want the Pro Plus, you're either going to get FunTouch or Origin, depending on where you import it from. If you buy one in Europe, though, it will technically still be running FunTouch, but they strip it back so far that it's basically stock. Hmm. So if you've bought the Vivo X51 or one of the Y phones that they released in Europe, you are getting an experience. You know, if you go into the settings bit and about phone, it will still say fun touch OS V whatever. But functionally, you're getting something that's incredibly close to stock. Um, no bloatware, uses all the Google default apps. Um, settings when you strip down, they take out that Jovi virtual assistant. It's not on there at all. Um, they strip away a lot of the extra features, um, a lot of the bloatware. And honestly, it's it's 
absolutely fine. If if you like stock Android, you will like European Vivo phones. There's you know you'd be splitting hairs to try and pull up, like find the stuff that's different. And there are little bits and little design bits, but it's functionally functionally the same. I I guess I'd be curious to see going forward if they're planning on making Origin more widely available in their other markets outside of China, how different the experiences will be under the Origin brand and whether yep. that'll come to <clears throat> the the version you're using, the you know the front touch version that you're using versus and the Asian market version. That's exactly what they're trying to figure out is my sense right. of it. Um, when I, I spoke to um, someone senior at Vivo Europe in, I want to say in January, a couple months ago, and at that point they said Origin OS is China only, like it's not coming to Europe. Right. It's just not. They, they were like, from a Vivo Europe perspective, they, they'd they made the decision that stock is what the European market wanted. And this is also them, you know, with half an eye towards eventually the US, of course. Um, and they were just like, stock is what people want. We're going to deliver them stock. Um They've now started saying, you know, Vivo Global have started saying Origin is going to roll out elsewhere. It is going to break it out of China. But again, I think there will be that question of whether I think there's enough. There's a, there's a chance Vivo Europe just never adopts Origin OS is my sense of it. Or if they do, again, they'll just take it and strip everything away and give you give you near stock. Um, it's worth saying it is stock, but it's still technically fun touch. So it's not like Nokia and Motorola that actually give you official Google, Android, that have those deals with Google that guarantee faster patch updates and stuff like that. Um, this is not that. So it's not got that Google seal of approval and, and that, that expedited update program. Um, that said, Vivo, are so far in the past year or two, been one of the fastest brands around for updates. Um, they actually shipped the first Android 11 phone. You know, they beat Google to shipping a phone with Android 11 on <laughs> it uh, and beat almost every other brand out there in, in patching their other phones to have Android 11 support. So, um, you know, fair play to them. I don't think they make any big promises right now about X years of up guaranteed updates and stuff like that. So you're not getting that, I don't think. But they have been good about updates. You reviewed the X50 and the X51, is that right? Last year? I saw the X50 Pro and Pro Plus last year. So again, I'm seeing the Pro and Pro Plus this year. Uh, How does the... uh, Do they feel like worthwhile upgrades? Bearing in mind, it's like a full year upgrade, if I'm not mistaken. They're like like nine months or something. Yeah, Yeah, not not quite a full year. Yes and no. Design language-wise, they're very similar. I actually meant to get one of my X50s out for comparison. But I mean, they are... You know, the camera model especially really looks the same. Mm. Um, I like it. A lot, a lot is very, very similar. On the pro and the regular, the big thing is that jump from a seven six five G to an eight seventy, yeah. which actually in, in performance is a huge jump. You know, we we mm. we like the seven six five G. I think for most people, it gets you what you need. But actually, if you care about performance, if you're gaming or you're worried about CPU longevity, like it is a serious step up in uh, in in performance and benchmarks results and things like that. One of the other big differences this year is this is the start of a camera partnership, all the rage. <laughs> uh, so Vivo has partnered with Zeiss. So these are the first ones, first ones to come out of that partnership. So you may or may not have noticed there is a little Zeiss logo sitting on the camera module. Um, they, It's not clear how much Zeiss did on the regular and the pro because they just kind of talk about, I don't know, working together on design philosophy and... Passing so Zeiss's not, certification process and things like that. So it's that. not like with the, the Huawei phones where there's like Leica branded filters? 
in the camera app. It's not quite like that. There is, is there it? is one. There is one Zeiss oh, branded okay. filter. There's a, a Zeiss Biotar <clears throat> portrait bokeh effect. So this is like a Zeiss lens that you can buy separately usually or something. And it's I'm not sure like on what it is on Zeiss, but basically what it is, is it's a kind of circular, slightly spiraled bokeh effect. Oh, and fun. so they have that as a bokeh option, and it is Zeiss brand. They have that on a lot of the um, Nokia phones as well, that kind of thing. So you can change into yes. hearts yeah. and stars and stuff like that instead of the standard. It's, <laughs> it's not a radically new software option. They've no. just put a Zeiss logo on it. You can definitely get this on another phone. Um, I found uh, on eBay a Carl Zeiss Jenner JR Biotar lens, and they have a, a can of beer for scale. <laughs> This thing is about the size of my head. Well, there you go. I mean, <laughs> the incredible. phone is a lot smaller. It's <laughs> a so fair play to them. They're, wow. they're obviously just doing it all through software, but there you go. Um, there is a bit more going on with the Pro Plus, uh, because on here it has, again, you may or may not be able to see if you're looking at it, it has a Zeiss T-Star anti-reflective coating, uh, which is the coating Zeiss applies to its lenses, obviously, and they just applied that to, to the lenses on the back of, of this phone. And basically that reduces glare and uh, reduces artifacting and other little image defects that you might get from light doing funny things. Um, I cool. haven't struggled with glare. I actually need to sit down and do some proper side-by-side -side comparisons of, you know, take the same shot with both phones and see uh, how the glare compares. But I will say so far I've been, you know, impressed with the uh, the Pro Plus camera. The Pro, Pro Plus camera is a step up. Um, in general, um, for one thing, it gets you a periscope lens, which you you don't have yes. um, an eight megapixel five times. Um, other than that, you have the fifty megapixel ISOCELL GN one for the main camera. Ah. So the previous right. gen of what Xiaomi has just mm. put in the ultras, um, very good sensor. You get a forty eight megapixel ultra wide with your IMAX five nine eight. So the ultra wide here. Oh, nice is the same as the main camera in the Pro and the regular. It's actually the same sensor and, and everything. It's just put on an ultra-wide lens. Uh, and then Ooh. you get a 32 megapixel two-time zoom portrait lens, they call it, but essentially a two-times zoom. Um, More useful than like a, the macro on the 8T, OnePlus 8T, for example. I think so, yes. <laughs> yeah. um, and then the other thing we're saying on the, the camera side here is these have uh, the gimbal tech again that they unveiled with the X50 last year. Last year it was only in the Pro, it's now in the Pro and the Pro Plus. Um, the funny thing with the Pro Plus is the gimbal, because it's, like I said, the, the ultra-wide on the Pro Plus is the same as the main sensor on the regular on the regular and the Pro. So it's the ultra-wide that has gimbal stabilization on the Pro Plus, which is a little confusing. So if you get the Pro, your main camera is gimbal stabilized. If you get the Pro Plus, you have this weird trade-off where you've got the 50 megapixel ISOCELL GN1, like bigger, better sensor, but just with OIS as your main. Your ultra wide is a slightly older, not quite as good sensor, a little bit smaller, but it's got Why this amazing stabilization. That? That's weird. Um, so you get this slight trade off, but it's um, it is still in that space where we've seen Oppo and OnePlus go into this year, where like you can look and say that ultra wide is nearly as good as the main lens, you know. Um, close enough that you, you wouldn't be worried about it. You feel like you can take ultra-wide shots without compromising on quality, and I really like that trend. Um, but you're still then getting a proper 5 times periscopic zoom that will go up to, I don't know, 60 times or something silly. I can't remember exactly what it caps out at, but it does a lot. It's not that proper big old 10 times space zoom, but it's it's very impressive. 
with the um the branding as well we talked about this when we we discussed the one plus nine series and like whether the Hasselblad name holds value for a consumer mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out where in the scale of things Zeiss comes in because I know like they've been on I think they've been on phones yeah, before Nokia. Maybe Nokia, Nokia. Phones back in the day or something yeah right is, is they still on Nokia yeah. now Lewis because you've tested some Nokias recently um so yeah does that is like is that a seal of approval is that something to like to get consumers excited about i don't know i think zeiss has more like more of a household name mm. than hasselblad i think i'd give them that at least i think the average consumer is more likely to see zeiss and go oh zeiss they do cameras you know yeah. or they do like they don't even make cameras they make camera stuff they do lenses and things so i think people yeah. would see zeiss and be like oh i know that they're like a lens you know they're involved in that space i think a lot of people would see the hasselblad name and go eh, who yeah yeah is. Um, so definitely but then on the flip side, like if I see, you know, like a Zeiss <clears throat> partnership on on a budget or mid range phone, I'm kind of be like, well, it's it's not going to be that great, is it? Because it's kind of a budget mid range phone. <laughs> so what's what's the point of that? Yeah. Um, and Alex has asked. Alex Edwards in the comments has asked about you know, kind of the same on that. You know, are these partnerships pointless? Like a Hasselblad Zeiss and all of that. And you know, yeah, we did have the you know we talked about that a few weeks ago and mostly i think a lot of it is branding you know i really don't know how much difference it is i like i said this stuff with like the t-star coating on the pro plus interests me more that's a real concrete thing where they can say here's a bit of zeiss tech we've Mm -hmm. put in this in this camera um and uh i'm uh sorry for not like properly checking those photos before the show today because i haven't quite finished the review of that one yet that i think is where i see there's space for this to be there but when it's just people talking about oh yeah, we worked together so closely and oh, we really shared our design philosophies and we learned so much from working on the, you know, it, it's all these kind of vague platitudes you get whenever you talk to the yeah. brands and you try and say, what actually did Hasselblad put in this yeah. camera? What actually did Zeiss bring to the table? Yeah. And it's very hard to get a straight I answer. I mean, the understanding that I have about a lot of these partnerships is that essentially the, the camera is developed in-house as usual, but then they will send it to, to Leica or whoever and they're like, is it good enough? And they're like, yes or no? If yeah. it's yes, you can put a name on it. No, you're not. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, again, that's the sense I get here. They talk about passing Zeiss certification, yeah. so I really feel it's that kind of thing. Zeiss gave it a seal of approval. Yeah. Zeiss said, "Yeah, this meets our standards. You know, this is good mm. enough that we're happy to put a Zeiss logo mm. on it." And that means something to some extent. Sure. But it it doesn't mean Zeiss built the thing. No. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, anyway, very good camera system. Uh, color-wise, you get this really aggressive oversaturation thing that you often get from uh, a lot of Chinese brands, I think, push that way in their, their design. Helps if you turn the AI mode off, but broadly very good. Um, but yeah, honestly, a very good camera setup. Lovely hardware design. You're getting top specs, um, no matter what, really. The big compromise that's bothering me about these phones is that even the Pro Plus doesn't have wireless charging. Um, Vivo just hasn't put wireless charging in anything yet. And I am now at the point where I have enough wireless chargers in yeah. my house <laughs> that when I use the phone, I kind of, I just, I, I keep putting this down on a wireless charger that I've got next to my sofa and then remembering, <laughs> oh, oh yeah, that went, that's essentially a glorified coaster at this point. It's not doing anything. Um, and for a phone at this kind of top, top tier, that feels a little behind for me. And I think Vivo really has to get wireless charging sorted for the next gen, but. I guess it'd be interesting to see when. I mean, you said the the, the Pro Plus won't be coming to the UK or Europe. Is yeah. that right? Pro Plus is just China and India so far, at right. least. Well, at least in India, then it'd be inter- interesting to see pricing outside of China, um, just to see how it kind of translates. Um, 
in terms of whether it justifies the lack of a feature like wireless charging if it gets everything else right. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, especially for the, the standard Pro then, in which case, which will be coming our way, just how what price point they're going to... Because I think on your direct conversion on your review, it's about £500. Obviously, it won't be that when it's, it comes to the UK. It's give or take, yeah. And then the jump up to the Pro Plus isn't that much. It's kind of 550 600 for the Pro Plus. Right, okay. So if you're in a place with both, if you're in, in you know, if you're in India and China and you have that choice, it looks a lot like the Pro Plus is worth it. Um, the only thing is the Pro Plus only comes with that leather finish. And those is a bit That is bigger. actually a so conflict if, for me. If you I like really the like leather, good. But if you don't like Rainbow the leather, <laughs> then yeah, you're out of luck. There's no non-leather Pro Plus. Uh, there is a bright yellow one, but that's China <laughs> well. only. They uh, at some point decided India wouldn't wouldn't want the bright yellow one, so India only gets the dark blue. But uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, so I, I I'm a big fan of these phones. I've actually been a bit of a, like a Vivo proponent for the last couple of years. Um, I've been impressed with almost every phone of theirs I've seen. Um, they just I just want them to get a little more competitive on pricing because I think that's where they're still lagging behind, certainly from a European space. I don't think that holds as much for India and China, and that's where they really do have a, a big market share. But um, I'm really hoping that when the X60 and the X60 Pro do roll out in Europe later this year, that they can shave 100 off what they did last year for the X51, because that's what it will take to make them really a very strong recommendation. Cool. I think that's that's us for this week. It's Easter. I'm going to go eat Holocaust buns or something. Uh, We will be back next week. Actually, I have no idea off the top of my head what we're expecting to launch in the next seven days that we might talk about next week. So I don't know. Stuff. Phones. Maybe more reviews of stuff that's come in. Yeah, we may talk about the Mi 11 Lite again with Toddy's actual thoughts on it. I have the Poco X3 Pro over here. So if I have the time to switch to that, you may get my thoughts on that. Otherwise, we'll see. We know we will not have the Xperia yet, but Xperia launch in a couple of weeks. So there's still stuff to look forward to. But uh, Mm -hmm. until then, thank you everyone for watching and for listening and see you all next week. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.